1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I want to start with verse number 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed it in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. And he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. And after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, and of the, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due, uh, due time. Drop down to verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord. Father, I thank you again for the privilege to be in your house, dear God. Father, I thank you uh, for the privilege to have your word and to be able to share it with others, dear Lord. Father, I pray today that this message would honor you, and I thank you that we serve not an idol, not a statue, uh, not someone that is dead and buried and gone. We serve not a memory, but we serve a risen Savior. Lord, bless today as only you can. Again, be honored in all that we do, Lord God. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come here this morning, and we look at the subject of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, a literal, physical, bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see one of the most misunderstood and one of the most misinterpreted doctrines in all of Scripture. Now, uh, as we look here, we see there were many groups there. Uh, it was denied by the Sadducees. They said there, uh, there is no resurrection there. It was ridiculed by the Greeks there. They, uh, they mocked when Paul taught about it there. It was even misunderstood or uh, mis uh, misappropriated, so to speak, there. Uh, even among the church there, they did not fully comprehend the resurrection. But friends, I want to tell you something. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the absolute cornerstone of our doctrine. It is uh, the absolute uh, pillar. It is the, uh, the, the anchor of our hope today. Without the resurrection, uh, the sinless life of the Lord Jesus Christ would be worthless. The virgin birth uh, of Christ would be worthless there. Uh, the sacrificial death on Calvary of the Lord Jesus Christ would be absolutely worthless if it was not for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And you say, preacher, how could you say that a virgin birth would be worthless? How could you say that his sinless and perfect life uh, would be of no avail. How could you say that the cross of Calvary would have no value? Friends, understand something. If Jesus Christ is still in the grave today, if He is still dead and buried and in that tomb today of Joseph of Arimathea, then our hope is in vain. Then you and I are hell-bound sinners there. Then Christ Himself is a liar because over and over again He said uh, the Son of Man would die, He would be crucified, and He would rise again victorious that third day. Friends, if Jesus is still in the grave, you and I have no hope today. But thanks be to God, when we look at this Bible, we don't see that it is just uh, the opinion of one. We see that this resurrection 
has evidence and proof beyond any shadow of a doubt there. When we think about uh, that empty tomb there, friends, I want to tell you, we don't just guess on it there. We don't just hope on it. We know uh, it's declared there over and over again throughout this Bible uh, that that resurrection is true and that Jesus is just as alive as I'm standing before you today. Friends, He's just he's more alive than I am today. Friends, one day, uh, if the rapture doesn't take place there, I'll have to go by the grave. I'll have to pass through uh, death's dark waters. I'll have to cross over uh, that Jordan of death there. But thank God, friends, Jesus is alive never to die again. He's rose victorious there. And death no longer has a hold on Him there. Death can't take and can't conquer uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ conquered death within Himself. Thank God for that today. Now, friends, as we look at this Scripture, I want to point out to you three things, three areas there, three evidences that Paul spoke about when it concerned the resurrection. I want you to notice, first of all, uh, that we see in verses 1 through 4, uh, the resurrection is declared by the Word of God there. Uh, we see that it was essential in verse number 1 and 2 there. Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, that phrase there, I declare unto you the gospel, what it means is I make known emphatically there. He said, I make known the good news. He wasn't ashamed of the resurrection. He wasn't embarrassed of that resurrection. He said, I, I believe it with all my heart. Heart, I've seen it. I'm assured of it. Friends, today you need to be assured that Jesus Christ is alive, seated on the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for you and I as saints there. Without that, friends, we have no hope. Paul said if we don't believe that resurrection, we're of all men most miserable. But thank God today he is alive. It was essential there. He goes on to say in verse number two, by which also ye are saved there. That phrase literally means, uh, when he says there, by which also ye are saved there, it means the belief on which that is indispensable to your salvation. The belief on which your salvation depends. If it is not for the resurrection today, if Christ is not raised, understand something, you can say whatever prayer you want to over and over and over again, but if Christ is still in that tomb today, then you and I are still in our sins there, and we will die in that sin, and we will spend an eternity in a devil's hell today. If Christ is still in that grave, you and I are of no hope today. Uh, friends, you say, preacher, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us in Romans 6 and verse number th uh, 23 that the wages of sin is death there. That means the payment for sin there. The just reward for that sin is death there. And had Christ not rose from the dead, that sin debt had not been paid there. That uh, bond of sin had not been broken. God had not been appeased there. That law had not been atoned for. And you and I have no hope if Christ is still in the grave. Our salvation absolutely depends on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Him being alive, friends, you and I can't be alive. Without Him being rose victorious, you and I can't rise victorious. Without Him being walked out of that tomb physically, bodily resurrected there, uh, you and I have no hope today. Paul said this is uh, uh, the very basis upon which your salvation stands. Oh, friends, it's essential. It cannot be overstated. How important, not only the death, not only the burial, but that resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is that fact that He walked out of that tomb alive and glorified there. That fact there, friends, it is absolutely essential. It is vital to the believer's salvation. Paul said, if ye keep in memory, literally, if ye hold fast there, that means if you receive the doctrine of the truth. What he is telling these Corinthians 
There were some there that had come to a place where they had questioned the resurrection. There were some false teachers, uh, some Sadducean teachers who had come in there. And they said, there's no such thing as a resurrection. Yes, uh, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, we understand that. Uh, but there's no such thing as a resurrection. He's still dead today. And there were those who were starting to believe that. And, and Paul said, listen, your salvation, your hope today, uh, if you hold fast that doctrine, that's the only way you can be saved. Friends, thank God that God, uh, Christ Himself walked out victorious over that, uh, uh, that grave there. Not only uh, was it essential there, but it was explanational there. It means it was atoning. In verses 3 and 4 there it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that phrase first of all means most importantly. First of all there, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Paul here uh, goes on, he says, I share with you uh, that which I have received there, that which I have gained there. Uh, friends, it wasn't His uh, own understanding. It wasn't His own teaching there. When we look at it, the Bible tells us there, in Galatians 1 and verse number 12, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was God Himself who taught Paul about this. It was God Himself who spoke to Paul. It was Jesus who revealed Himself uh, to Paul on that Damascus road. And he saw Him high and lifted up His own eyes, witnessed a living Savior there. And He said this resurrection there, it's according to the Scripture. It pays for our sin debt. It's atoning there, this uh, phrase for our sins, literally, means as an offering on the account of our sins there. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 21 says, And He, God the Father, hath made Him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He is our sacrifice today. He's our atonement today. He's the one who paid the debt that you and I couldn't pay. He took our sin upon Him and He bore that to the cross and He rose with that sin debt forever paid by the grace of God. When we look at the phrase, it is finished, in John chapter 19, when Christ hung on that cross and, and uh, as He was giving up that ghost, right as He was about to give up the ghost, He cried, it is finished. It's the Greek word, tetelestai. What it means is paid in full. Now we know the, uh, the work of Christ is not done. Christ is still making intercession on the right hand of God the Father for the saints. He's still working today. One day He'll come back and He'll receive us unto Himself there and we'll rule and we'll reign with the Lord Jesus Christ as His bride. We understand Christ is not sitting idly. What He meant when He said it is finished was that every need... Every part of that law, every requirement that God had for righteousness was paid there. Every bit of the work of redemption was done and it was done to the fullest there. Friends, thank God there's nothing we need to add to salvation. There's no, uh, uh, there's no sacrifice we need to make. It was already done in Christ and because of His work, friends, thank God you and I can be forgiven, restored, made whole, redeemed, justified in the sight of a holy God. By His grace there. Friends, this resurrection, this, was no, uh, this, this wasn't something that the, the Israelites weren't familiar with. The Old Testament prophets spoke of it. Uh, David, uh, when, when his son had died there in 2 Samuel 12 and verse number 23, he said, I can't go, uh, he can't come to me, but I shall go to him. He knew he would see that son again. Uh, when we look at Job there, 
And Job speaking of his, uh, of his Savior there in chapter 19 in verse number 25 there, uh, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth there. He said, I know. I'm assured of it. That was a man in suffering and in sorrow and in hardship. And he said, I know my Redeemer lives and I'll stand with him. He'll stand at the latter day. Friends, this was something uh, that was not foreign to the Jews there. Zechariah 12 and verse number 10. And they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. And they shall weep and they shall mourn there. Friends, they'll see the nail-pierced hands. And they'll recognize their Savior living forevermore. Not only... Uh, was this something that was familiar to the prophets? But it was something that was familiar to providence there. God Himself knew it. In John chapter number 10 and verse number 18, Jesus speaking, He said, No man taketh my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. No man killed the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not a martyr. He was our sacrificial lamb there. Prophesied all the way back in Genesis 22 and verse number 8 when Isaac said, My father, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said, My son, God Himself will provide that lamb. Literally, God Himself will be that lamb there. He is our sacrifice, our Passover lamb there, friends. He laid down His life for you and I today. Aren't you glad today, friends, that, this, uh, uh, that the resurrection is declared by the Word of God? No greater authority than the Word of God. No matter what is said, no matter what is done, that Bible is the final authority on all things there. Not only is it declared by the Word of God, but the resurrection is also declared by the witnesses of God. Look at verses 5 down through verse number 8 there. Four times in those verses we see the phrase seen of. That phrase there, uh, what it literally means is it speaks of a physical appearance. Not just a vision, not just a, a, a dream or a, a, an inspiration, so to speak there. This was a physical appearance there. Uh, those that had seen the Lord Jesus Christ there, uh, this group, as we'll look at in just a minute, had physically seen him they had seen that body uh, the apostles themselves were told uh, Jesus said come handle me he told Thomas take your finger put it in the palm of my hand take your hand put it in my side friends you can't do that uh, to just a spirit it's got to be a body and he could come and he could touch that body of the Lord Jesus Christ friends these witnesses declare the resurrection of Jesus in verse number five there was an appearance under the call there. He goes to the apostles first, and he was seen of Cephas or Peter there, and then of the twelve, a phrase there uh, commonly used for the apostles. He went to that group that was called first. He went to those apostles. Why? Because they were the pillars of the church. They were the founders. Uh, they were going to be the foundation there. And when he revealed himself, resurrected to them, it gave them a responsibility that from then on they were going to have to preach that resurrected Jesus. They couldn't get around it. Friends, those apostles were under divine authority. They were under the divine responsibility. They couldn't just preach about the miracles. They couldn't just preach about the virgin birth. They couldn't just preach preach about uh, the, uh, the, the, the uh, sinless light there. They couldn't just preach about Calvary. They had to talk about the fact that God Himself had walked out of that tomb alive. Not only did He appear to the called in verse number 5, but in verse number 6 we see there was an appearance to the church. It said, And after that He was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are falling asleep. That multitude 
of 500 there. That speaks of the church. It's, it's a reference to Matthew 28 in verse number 10 when the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and they shall see me. He said, Go gather all of them. Get them together. They're going to see me in Galilee. I love that phrase there, be not afraid. In the King James Bible, there are 365 different references that say something along the lines of fear not, be not afraid, uh, be thou not afraid there, friends. And it talks about peace. What greater peace could be given? What greater message of peace could be given than victory over death, hell, and the grave, friend? Man's greatest fear today. A lost man's greatest fear today is the fact of death there. One day they'll pass over and they'll leave this world and they'll pass in to what is unknown to them. But thank God, friends, for you and I that are believers, it's not unknown to us. Death is nothing more than a stepping stone. It's that doorway we walk through into the very glory and presence and victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He appealed there to the call. He appeared uh, appearance to the church. In verse number 7, he appears to the condescending. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? He said, after that, he was seen of James. James here, the, the James that is being spoken of here, is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the writer of the epistle of James that we read. You say, preacher, why is that important? Because when we read in John 7 and verse number 5, this James, before... Christ had been offered on the cross of Calvary before he had died, before he had rose again. This James, this very half-brother that had been raised with the Lord Jesus, is one that denied him, he mocked him. But after the resurrection, we see him, Acts 1 and verse number 14, says that this same James was present in the company of those that were gathered together. He saw that empty tomb there. He remembered the sayings of his brother. He remembered the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he realized that he was God. Not only the appearance to the called and the appearance to the church, the appearance to the condescending, but in verse number 8, Paul talks about the appearing to the condemned. Look at verse number 8 there. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. The phrase there, uh, as of one born out of due time, is a very strong phrase there. The Greek word actually means one that was born aborted or one that was born to a, a premature labor, that died in labor. What Paul is talking about here, when he's talking about that qualification of an apostle there, uh, what he is talking about there is one that is uh, exceedingly unworthy. One that was vile, one that was abominable. What Paul was saying there is as that uh, calling to be an apostle was a living calling. He was so unworthy, it was as if he was born uh, dead there and God had to revive him. What a tremendous thought there. He said, it's amazing that God appeared even unto me. The persecutor of the church, Warren Wearsby, uh, J. Vernon McGee also mentioned, said that the, uh, Christianity had no greater enemy then Saul, before his conversion, he wasn't content with just driving the church from Jerusalem. He had to go chase them down. He had letters and warrants there to arrest them and to take them and to persecute them and to have them slain for their faith there. He stood by the feet of Stephen, the first martyr, and gave consent unto his death. And here comes God and gets a hold of him. The Lord Jesus speaks to his heart. And now even Paul has been changed by the grace of God and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we see that the resurrection was declared by the Word of God. 
The resurrection was declared by the witnesses of God. And last of all this morning, in verse number 20, we see that the resurrection was declared by the work of God. Bear with me a couple minutes as we look at this. First of all, we see the affirmation of Christ's resurrection. The first part of verse number 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead there. This phrase, it is again, it is an emphatic emphatic language there. It means that Paul is is, uh, persuaded. Paul is convinced there's nothing that is going to change his mind. What Paul is saying is there's no argument, there's no objective against the resurrection. He said, I've seen him with my very own eyes. It's the same language that we see there used in in, uh, Romans 1 and verse number 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the same language that is used in 2 Timothy there when uh, Paul says, I'm now ready to be offered. He was emphatic about that. He knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that Christ is alive and that Christ was raised. He said, I saw Him with my very own eyes. What a testimony. And he's affirming it to that church. He was telling those believers at Corinth, he said, don't let anybody deceive you. Christ is not in that tomb. Friends, do you realize today that all the Pharisees would have had to do, all the Sadducees, all the religious leaders, all they would have had to do to disprove all of Christianity was to produce a body after three days. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? I mean, they had heard Jesus say over and over again that in the third day he'd rise that he would die, that he'd be buried, and that he'd rise again. All they would have had to do to prove Christ a liar, all they would have had to do to prove him untrue, all they would have had to do to prove him a false prophet is to produce that body after three days. But friends, they couldn't do it. That tomb is empty today. That stone was rolled away. Friends, Jesus Christ rose up victorious. Those grave clothes folded, signifying he's coming back there. Thank God today, death could not hold him. Thank God there's nothing that can stop Him. We're affirmed of our salvation. We're assured of our salvation. We know that heaven is our home because Christ rose victorious and He keeps His word to you and I. What an awesome God we serve. Not only the affirmation of Christ's resurrection, but last of all this morning, we see the second part of verse number 20. We see the application of Christ's resurrection. Follow with me just a few minutes here. Paul goes on to say, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. This phrase first fruits here is a very important phrase there. What it gives reference to uh, when we look at it in the Old Testament, what it gives reference to is the feast of what is called the first fruits. It's found back in the book of Exodus Uh, Chapter number, when we look at Exodus chapter number 23, Leviticus chapter number uh, 23 also, Leviticus 23 gives the account that the, the feast of the first fruits, what this feast was, was a celebration of the harvest that was coming in. This feast took place directly after. Uh, the feast of what is called the unleavened bread there. That unleavened bread, uh, that feast of unleavened bread was a celebration of the body. It represented the body of Christ. It, was, it spoke of the death, burial, and resurrection. It spoke of that sacrifice there uh, of Christ going to the cross. 
But as we come here to this feast of uh, first fruits or this feast of harvest, this was celebrated right after uh, that feast of unleavened bread. Right after the cross, there comes the resurrection. Right after the cross, right after Calvary is the empty tomb there. Uh, Christ had gone and He was that sacrifice. He was that unleavened bread. He gave His body there. But that feast of the first fruits, what they would do is they would take what was called a, a wave sheath. They would take that, uh, that wheat offering and they'd uh, take it before the priest and that priest would come and he would wave that before the Lord as a dedication for the rest of the harvest. It was in two parts. That wave sheath would be brought there and they'd wave that signifying uh, the, the beginning of that harvest and that the rest of it was yet to come. The rest of it would be dedicated and exactly 50 days, 5-0, 50 days afterward, they would have the second part of that feast there and that we would refer to as the wave loaves there. Uh, the loaves of bread, that which was made out of that harvest would be offered there. You say, preacher, what's important about that? Friends, when Jesus died on the cross there and rose victorious, He came out and He waved uh, before God there. He was that first fruit. He was that sheath offering. He said, I'm the first one that's raised uh, from the grave there never to die again. I'm the first one that's been redeemed there. And exactly 50 days Days later, in Acts chapter number 2, we have the account of Pentecost there, the very start of the church there, and it was that wave loaf there. It was the rest of the harvest. Friends, thank God Jesus was the firstborn among the dead. Thank God He's the first to rise out of that grave never to die again. But He's not going to be the last. If you're saved today, one day God's going to raise you up. If you have to go by the way of the grave, that tomb won't hold you. God has a glorified body for you, and He's going to raise you up victorious to be with Him for evermore thank God for the grace of God today we don't serve a dead Savior we don't serve one Confucius is still in that grave Muhammad is still in that grave they're dead they're gone Joseph Smith Charles Taz Russell anybody else you want to put in that place is still in that grave but Jesus is alive and well thank God and because he lives you and I will live one day Aren't you glad, friends, we serve a risen Savior? As we come here today, that resurrection is not a fairy tale. It's the truth declared by the Word of God. Now there are many, I'll close with this. There are many different theories of that empty tomb. One is, is what we refer to as the swoon theory. And what that states is that Christ never died on the cross. That He was just injured. And he was put in that tomb and the cold of the tomb revived him. Friends, let me tell you how foolish that is. First of all, that Roman soldier, when they came to inspect the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, they saw him on that cross as he hung there and they declared him to be dead. And just to take it a step further, that Roman soldier pierced the side of the Lord Jesus Christ and from his heart poured forth that blood and water. You say, preacher, what's significant about that? We go all the way back. To the first part of Genesis, when Adam was by himself and God put him in that deep sleep and he cut open that side and he took from that side a rib there right near that heart and from that rib he made Eve. Friends, Eve is a type of the church there. Uh, the very word Eve means mother of all living there. Friends, just as uh, Eve was taken from the side of Adam, so the church was taken from that side of Christ. He was dead in that tomb there. He was buried in that tomb. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapped him in those grave clothes. They saw him. 
They watched him. That Roman guard there, they rolled that stone, they sealed that tomb there, and they put that guard in front of there. They knew he was dead. There was no, there was no doubt about it. But come that Sunday morning, that stone was rolled away, that seal was broken, and the Savior walked out alive forevermore. There are those who hold to what's called the, the missing tomb theory or the mistaken tomb theory. They say, well, Jesus is still buried. We just don't know exactly where He's at. We, we just, uh, where we thought He was buried was the wrong spot. Friends, understand something, as I said before. That's foolishness beyond any comprehension. All the Jews would have had to do to, produce, to uh, disprove all of Christianity was produce that Bible. They knew exactly where the body of Christ was. But when they came back, Peter, John, when they came in there, they looked and they saw where their Savior had once laid. They looked in there. They found not a body. They found grave clothes, literally wrappings there. And they had a napkin that was placed off to the side. And that napkin was folded up. You say, preacher, what's so important about that? Friends, if you are familiar with Jewish customs... Whenever uh, someone got up from a table and was done eating, if they had to dismiss themselves, if they were not coming back, they'd take that napkin and they'd ball it up and they'd throw it down and that waiter, that servant would know that that person was not coming back again. But if they had to excuse themselves and they would be back to return to that meal there, they'd take that napkin and they'd fold that thing uh, ever so gently and they'd lay it down and that servant would know that they were coming again. Don't touch it, friends. That napkin was folded. The Lord Jesus said, I'm coming back. I'm coming again. He's coming to gather you and I. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I'd go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there shall you be also, friends. Thank God. As we look around today, Christ is risen. And the next thing we have to look forward to, Christ is returning. He's coming back for you and I. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for all the blessings you bestowed upon us. But most importantly, I thank you for that resurrection. Death could not hold you. Sin and the, and the, uh, the penalty of sin could not contain you. And Father, I thank you that because you live, we live also. Lord, bless every heart here today. Encourage your people. In times of unease, in times of worry, Father, I pray that we would remember that you're in charge of all things and that we would look up and know that at any moment you could draw us out of here. Father, I thank you for your love today. Bless our hearts. Help us to do your will. Help us to serve you and to share you with as many as we come into contact with. Because one day you're coming again. Father, I thank you that we don't have a God of the dead, but a God of the living. Bless our hearts today. Bless this church. Help us to do your will. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.